Welcome to another episode of Behind the Blazer. In this episode, our host, Scott Sempier, speaks with Joe Fitzmartin over Zoom. Did you know the Keystone State Boy Choir is right around the corner from the Philadelphia Boys Choir? It's true. Not only are we geographically near to each other, but we have a very strong tie. Joe Fitzmartin, affectionately known as Fitz, was with the PBCC for over 20 years before forming the Keystone State Boy Choir. In this episode of Behind the Blazer, he discusses his story with the PBCC, the formation of the Keystone State Boy Choir, and how he still composes today. Thanks to Dr. Hamilton's encouragement, he even composed a song you may know very, very well. Enjoy. Blazers, the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. We've been singing in Philadelphia and all around the globe for over 50 years. As America's ambassadors of song, we have had many fantastic experiences, traveling to many different countries and meeting amazingly talented and wonderful people. The great leadership and high standards of the choir have allowed us to have these opportunities. This podcast, Behind the Blazer, is designed to introduce you to the Philadelphia Boys Choir culture. Season 2, in particular, highlights some of the many partners we have had in the Philadelphia region who have joined us to help create even more excellent music. For those of you who are fans of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale, or even maybe behind the blazer, you don't have to be around long to hear the name Joe Fitzmartin. Even though Fitz left in 2001, his name, music, and legacy continue with the choir today. Both Jeff Smith and John Stroud mentioned him in their episodes as people who've influenced them in their music careers. Yuki Washington's episode featured an indirect reference to Fitz as he was describing the beautiful voice of a soloist who sang for the Pope in 2015. That singer, who wore a green jacket, was part of Fitz's choir. Those green jackets indeed are worn by none other than the Keystone State Boy Choir. And here I am on Zoom talking to Joe Fitzmartin, affectionately known as Fitz, the founder and music director of the Keystone State Boy Choir. Welcome to Behind the Blazer, Fitz. Thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure to know you uh, and to see you for the first time. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we are we are on Zoom and my Zoom is not uh, giving a video feed, but I did share a picture. So here we go. So starting with the Keystone State Boy Choir, how did you start the choir? How did it come to be? Well, Keystone State Boy Choir started in 2001, uh, right after I had left Philadelphia Boys Choir. And Steve Fisher and I had been working with and for Bob Hamilton. Uh, In fact, I was there for 21 years, and Steve had been there, I think, for the last eight of my 21 years and over the course of those 21 years uh, I have to tell you uh, H and I were good friends and colleagues for a breathtaking at least 20 years he was an amazing person uh, and obviously I'm sure still is the music and the the tours and the composing that he allowed me to do for the choir Uh, It was just a magical time. In fact, speaking of magic, he was one of those guys who everything he dreamed up, everything he talked about, it just came true in everybody's lives. So I owe H big time. He has had a magnificent career, and I lovingly got to be able to go along for the ride. Uh, So I owe an awful, awful lot of my musical career to Bob Hamilton. He's uh, a very, very special person. So it was during, I guess, my 21st year with him that we had some professional challenges. I guess artistic types uh, all over the globe go through those machinations from time to time. And at the end of my 21st year, uh, I decided to leave the organization and uh, we started the new choir as you say, Keystone State Boy Choir. And we had actually some, there weren't a lot, there were maybe a half dozen or so kids from PBC uh, who wanted to join our choir. And of course we said, this that wouldn't be appropriate. And we thought, no, let's 
start recruiting on our own. And I was working at Penn Charter, the William Penn Charter School in Philadelphia. And there were, I had several choirs there. In fact, there were six choirs at Penn Charter that I was uh, running at the time. So a lot of those kids uh, heard about this new outside choir. They called it, it was like a travel choir, <laughs> travel team. We uh, recruited them. I think we had a total of maybe 23, 24 kids to start that organization off. And of course, we limped along a little bit for the first six months to a year. And then once the name was out there, we started recruiting more and more and more. So five, six years in, I think we were close to 100 young people. And within those three, I think the first three years after the third year, decided that it would be a great idea to start a girl choir as well because a lot of those kids had sisters their own age, a little younger, a little older, and they said, uh, wouldn't it be great? So parents of those kids said, why don't you start a girl? So we, of course, we did. And in fact, just yesterday, I went to their spring concert. We still have two separate organizations, the boys and the girls, but they're under one big umbrella called the Commonwealth Youth Choirs. So we have boys from Jersey and Philly, NJB and KSB, and of course the girls, the uh, Pennsylvania Girl Choir and the New Jersey Girl Choir, NJB. And we have them, uh, of course, rehearsing in separate places. We rent space in Germantown at the bottom of Germantown Avenue for the boys and at the top of Germantown Avenue for the girls. So we've been going strong now for 21 years. Of course, COVID came in and geez, decimated both of not only our choirs, but uh, so many other choirs around the world. So we found ourselves on Zoom for a couple of years. So sad, so unfortunate, but we're back. Jeff and I, by the way, have a good time. From We've been going to lunch ever since he was installed <laughs> as the, the director following H, and we've kept in, in good touch. He was a former student of mine from back in the day when he joined PBC. But I digress. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yeah, Jeff has mentioned that you and he have a great relationship, and, um, and he did tell me also that you do have that continual personal lunchtime together and, and whatnot, and I think that's really, uh, that's really wonderful. You've obviously touched on quite a few topics, from your Commonwealth Youth Choirs to COVID and even the, the beginning of KSB as well. Just wondering, uh, considering you know the personal connection you still have, the affection you still have with the Boys Choir, and also how, how you started KSB, is there a sense of maybe rivalry or competition between the Keystone State Boy Choir and the Philadelphia Boys Choir? Maybe during that first year. Once we launched and we were out on uh, the deep ocean <laughs> doing our own thing, uh, the rivalry really did drop off. And, you know, occasionally, and I'm sure Jeff mentions KSB to PBC, and of course we occasionally mention, you know, PBC to KSB. But it's not in terms of rivalry, it's in terms of how awesome it is that this city can support two awesome, wonderful, magnificent choirs. Of course, PBC with the the, uh, the more profound legacy. Right. That is something that I was considering, too, is that, you know, you guys, even though it's two different organizations and you're pulling from pools of similarly aged children, similarly aged singers, you guys are serving the city and enabling more and more kids to learn such a high level of singing. And I think that's that's really in a way it's a lot of collaboration just in, in the work that you do. It's interesting that Jeff and I both, for the past 20-some years, uh, any time one of our singers decided to, to leave and to join the other choir, we would always call each other in advance and talk about the youngster who would be eventually auditioning for the other choir and talk about the family and the parents and you know hopefully get them up to date with what was going on. In fact, just recently Jeff did call and said that one of our youngsters was uh, looking at his choir, and uh, fantastic. So we compared notes. I'm not sure. Neither of us have ever followed up on, you know, uh, what happened to that youngster when they joined the other choir, but we're always happy, willing, 
to do it. I guess because the numbers are so voluminous on either side, there are several hundred in both of our choirs. So to lose one, I have an interesting, funny story. I think it was our third or fourth year, youngster came and auditioned for my choir, and he uh, he sang, went through the whole candidate process, and it got the time for him to have his jacket. And he had not been to any of our concerts, and he came in for the fitting of his of his jacket. And the first words out of his mouth, he said, "Wait a second, these are green. Aren't they supposed to be red?" <laughs> and of course, uh, he transferred because <laughs> he liked the, the color of the jacket better. It was just a funny time. <laughs> wow, that is funny. We'll take some time out of this episode to give our brothers in green some props. Check out how well the Keystone State Boy Choir sings. It's no wonder Yuki Washington was impressed by the guys in the green jackets. And now, back to our interview with Joe Fitzmartin. And what made you choose green? Is there any particular symbolism behind the green? Oh, yes, for sure. Uh, Pennsylvania, Penn's woods, uh, the way that's translated. And, of course, the woods are a deep, rich green. So we thought with you know, the state of Pennsylvania being uh, uh, our moniker, that we would follow that color scheme. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so you're also a composer as well. You've composed Agnes Dei, and I presume you've composed other pieces as well. Is that correct? Uh, if you can withstand this, I actually uh, wrote down a list of things that just came to mind uh, early this morning. I have to say this again, Bob Hamilton, being this magical person that he was uh, during his time with PBC, he afforded me the luxury as a composer to write music for the choir. And it wasn't just a matter of, you know, writing it and passing the, the song on to the, to the group. I was right there knee-deep in rehearsals. I was able to make corrections, changes, take suggestions from him, and uh, it was an amazing time. I think the first one that I composed for PBC was called Ride the Wave. I just remember being Bob's place up in the Northeast, sitting at his piano, and it was, again, such a luxury to be involved with a person that could make your dreams come true. And uh, I remember playing it for him, and he said, oh, my God, this is great. The ending, what about this? Would you consider this? And, and the input and the, the back and forth just made these pieces come alive. Ride the Wave was one. The Shepherds Abide on the Hill, a lot of holiday pieces. Little Christmas Child. And then I think it was my fifth or sixth year, sixth year in with PBC, he said, I think it's about time, Fitz, that you write something big. Let's write something monumental. How about a mass? And I thought, oh, my God, oh, my God. So I, I wrote this thing called the Concert Mass, and it was the Kyrie, the Gloria, the uh, Credo, Agnus Dei, the Sanctus, and it was a monumental work. And over the course of a year, a year and a half, Bob would perform some of these movements or, or the entire piece at almost every concert until it was so well known. One of our colleagues in Australia happened to be visiting him at the time, and uh, he heard the piece. And the, I can just remember I was sitting in a restaurant with, with Bob and Peter McKenna, was the guy from Down Under, and they hatched a plan that was so breathtaking and magnificent, I almost fell off my stool at the restaurant. They said, <laughs> how about this? How about, uh, Peter said, how about Fitz? Why don't you compose two more movements, make them in English, and of course they, they turned out to be the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23, and uh, we'll take it 
I know, we'll take it to Carnegie Hall and, and we'll combine our choir from Down Under and your choir and that'll be the great premiere of this new work with the two new sections. And then the following year we can take it to, I know, the Sydney Opera House. Uh, we'll take it back to my country. And then H, of course, chimed in and he said, and then we can go to, let's do it, we can do it in Germany and Russia and we'll just take it all over there. And I'm sitting there gobsmacked over this conversation, only to find out that all of it came true over the course of the next three or four years. So, so these two magical people uh, got together and you know, made that whole thing happen. What an amazing, exciting association with those wonderful people. I wrote a piece called Praise Him with Thunder, and it was for brass and organ and piano. And I remember Jeff was with us at the time on tour. And if I'm not mistaken, you can ask him, I think it was Sydney, yes, I think it was Sydney Opera House. And Jeff, uh, he was a little guy at the time, I think he was in sixth grade or seventh grade, and he sat at the concert grand piano on the stage with the three trumpets, three tom trombones and timpani, and I got to play the organ, which was attached to the back wall of, of the facility there and of course the full choir was down there and sang that piece. Another piece called Moonbeams uh, that some of your listeners will remember. Philadelphia USA was another and then I'm serious H just came out of the woodwork and he said I want something this coming year for full orchestra and choir. How about uh, something to do with the Academy Awards and it was like a 20-25 minute piece 50 years of the best of the best. He asked for one year for a Gershwin medley, and that was another, you know, orchestra and choir. Cole Porter medley was the next year. Uh, he asked for a piece that was just with American songs. We called it Sing America First, and we took that all around on tour with us. There was another medley, had 13 original colonies, music from the 13 original colonies, and the fellow in Philadelphia, I can't remember, oh, I think it was Ralph Archbald became the star of the show because he was Philadelphia's uh, Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin, yeah. Yeah, so he got to actually host it while the choir and the orchestra in the pit that year, we sang this uh, medley. Uh, and then one of my favorites of all that, uh, again, Bob commissioned this, and I think PBC, did it recently, maybe five or six years ago at uh, the Irvine Auditorium. It's called Fantasy of Carols, uh, and it was actually performed for the first time at the Academy of Music with none other than the Philadelphia Orchestra accompanying the Philadelphia Boys Choir. Boy, those were some amazing times, but all that music was inspired by H, and he just said, how about this, how about something this, do this next year. I you know, pen to paper. Actually, back in the day, it was pencil to paper. <laughs> Most of the scores were all done by hand. So it was a magnificent time that H afforded me during those awesome, magical 20... That's quite a, a catalog of, of pieces that you composed. And I really appreciate it for, for so many reasons. One of the things, actually, a, a trivial fact is that Philadelphia USA is used in the Behind the Blazer opening. So every episode of Behind the Blazer uses Philadelphia USA. And of course it's a Blazer song too. So So of all these pieces, which is your which is your favorite? Each of them has their own it's kinda of like tour. H used to say that and I echo him full heart wholeheartedly. For tour, what was your favorite tour? It's you you really can't say because each of them had their own unique personality and memories attached and as I'm looking at that list that I just read off for you I guess two of them jump out at me one was concert mass in fact KSB with PG we did that at Verizon Hall just before COVID hit and we uh, had the Philadelphia Sinfonia Orchestra which if you will is to the Philadelphia Youth Orchestra just like PBC and KSB I think the Philadelphia Sinfonia is the the later of the latter of those two organizations formed. 
so uh, we invited them to join us on stage. And of course, two of our graduates, a boy and a girl, both uh, now opera singers, got to sing that on stage with us. So I would say Concert Mass and Fantasy of Carols, two pieces that, again, if it weren't for H, they wouldn't even exist. And I just want to let you know, I, I told uh, Jeff recently, in fact, he and I had lunch in the building where I live, in the basement of the building. It's called Little Pete's Restaurant. And I told him, I'm 78 years old now, walking with a cane, my ankles are shot. You know how it is. And I said, Jeff, upon my demise, I hope you understand that all these pieces that I wrote for PBC, I want them to live, the music, uh, the, the hardware there, I want them to all live at the PBC home in your library. And I'm just going to sign all the copyrights over to him. And he, as the director, obviously, of the group now, he can feel free to monopolize them in any way he or the organization sees fit moving forward. Because if it weren't for PBC, none of these works would probably be in existence. Wow. I think that's incredible. That's awesome. That's really wonderful. Fitz is highly respected by people who have shared time with him in his PBCC days. Here's just a small portion of that monumental work Fitz was talking about. Concert Mask Agnus Dei. Enjoy! Imagine singing that at the Sydney Opera House or in Carnegie Hall. The Philadelphia Boys Choir also sang this in Russia, Germany, and elsewhere, as Fitz said. Let's hear more about what Fitz has to say. A couple more questions about your compositions. First, how long does it take to compose something? I expect it depends on the size of the piece, but also, are you still composing? I, <laughs> I have to schedule myself to write. Uh, it's not like, even though I've been doing it for so long, I can't even imagine. I actually, on the mornings that I decide to write, I actually get dressed up. I put on my tie and my shirt and the air conditioner, of course, during the summer. I sit at the piano and I schedule minimum three hours. Uh, usually I'll start at nine and I'll schedule nine to 12. And there are some days that I sit there and I write, and it is a drudgery. And I'm not inspired, and I write a few things down. And after three hours, I'm looking at my watch every 10 minutes saying, Ugh, when is this going to end? And there are some days, and there's no rhyme, no reason for it. Artistic people are just this way, whether they write novels or music or whatever it is they write. You'll sit at the piano. And all of a sudden, there's just like a flow. You get into the stream of writing, and five or six hours will go by. And I look at my watch, and I go, what? Oh, my God, it's almost 5.30 in the evening. And the time just passes as if it were nothing. It's like an athlete, obviously, running or getting so involved in what they do that uh, the time just passes, and time isn't even a factor anymore. So yes, the answer is I'm still, <laughs> still writing and arranging those pieces. Uh, I, again, I have the luxury of being able to write for my own choirs. Uh, so it's still, the dream continues. The next question is about your mission statement. The Keystone State Boy Choir says, our mission is to transform the lives of young people through the power of making music together, one song at a time. So what does that look like for the Keystone State Boy Choir? Well, we turn over a new repertoire every year, of course, the main uh, songs that we have. But our music is chosen mainly because of what we envision that year's theme, that emphasis 
uh, to be that year. This year, of course, it's on diversity. So a lot of our pieces, and we, we not only rehearse them with the kids, but we talk about what it means to us as directors and associates, uh, but what we think it means to them. So after they've learned the piece and they've kind of digested it, we'll, we'll have round robins with them and, and discuss what the piece could mean to them and how they can incorporate what the song says into their lives. Uh, and into their families and obviously their relationships with their friends at school and with each other. We do have standard rep that we, uh, that we drag along from year to year, dropping off maybe one or two pieces uh, and replacing it with other standard rep. But the fresh repertoire for each season is based on, on that philosophy in our uh, mission statement there to to have the kids actually grow musically and uh, lyrically with everything that we present to them from year to year. That's that's great. So it really seems to make it so that the kids can sing it even better if they know the background and they know the history and they know the meaning and they can embrace it as their own. You mentioned that there is a standard repertoire. Is that similar to the boys choir, the Philadelphia Boys Choir and the Blazer songs? And also, do the boys in KSB have to earn their blazer as well? Yep, that is something that uh, we took from H. <laughs> and of course, we obviously, I give them credit all the time. Uh, yes, uh, we have several different levels, as does uh, PBC. Uh, we bring them, in fact, this is our first year to have a first grader. Usually we start in second uh, to audition. Uh, we have a group called the trainers, and then the trainers graduate to beginning apprentice. Uh, and then the beginning apprentice goes to advanced apprentice. And then at the end of their year of uh, advanced apprenticeship, they become candidates for the concert Choir. Uh, and of course, they, they have a list of, I think this year it's 14 or 15 songs that they need to memorize uh, and learn in their own voice part, obviously with all the words. And then they become members of the concert choir. After they've been in that for at least a year, if they choose, they can stay in that choir for a while while they're still singing treble, or they can become candidates for the town choir, that's with an E, uh, ye old town choir uh, and they become <laughs> candidates for the town choir and then they go through the same uh, rig rigor if you will uh, and they have I think this year we have 17 or 18 songs as candidates for the town choir in addition of course to uh, theory and musicianship skills they have to complete one of our theory books then they can get promoted to the town choir. Once in town choir, the same thing happens. As the voices begin to change, they can become candidates for the graduate choir. And they have a whole list of songs that they have to go through and pass. And of course, a more stringent music theory. Once they're in the graduate choir and their voices begin to settle a little bit better, they can become candidates for the, for the chamber choir. And once they're in the chamber choir, the same situation happens, and they can become members. Actually, they can't. At that point, we put a period at the end of their career. However, they may be invited, and it's invitation only, into what we call the Anonymous 16. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And that consists <laughs> of eight boys and eight girls. And, of course, they do a repertoire from the masters. Uh, the the Beethovens and the Mozarts. Yeah, it's just an amazing experience for them. And of course, those kids do yet an extra day of rehearsal. So your concert choir, your town choir, your chamber choir, do they all sing the same events or do they have different events? When you have like your spring concert, say, are all on stage at the same time singing the same songs? How does that work? The youngers, in fact, have two sometimes three special concerts just for them. There's always a concert in costume. We might go to a public uh, event someplace 
and they all dress up, especially you know during the Halloween season, or we'll bring them to a uh, retirement community, and of course the the youngers and the olders are mutually delighted by that, but they have their own separate rep for that. Uh, concert choir again will do very specific things. In fact, they they're involved in a lot of outreach. We'll go and sing at a school or uh, a public event. But yes, each of them have their own small set of repertoire that they can do by themselves at a concert, and yet they also have part of that standard rep that they share with the next one or two choir levels above them. So that when we do get to spring concert, not only will we have all of the sections, all the divisions of the boys' choir there, occasionally we will also invite several levels of the girl choir to join with uh, the boy choir for those events. So obviously, you know, the holidays, the winter concerts uh, and the spring concerts involve a lot more collaboration between the two boy-girl entity choirs. That is quite a load. So how often are these groups rehearsing? And it feels like you have about seven different boy groups. Uh, Is it about the same for girl groups? Yes, absolutely. Uh, those levels are the same. They come in very young. Uh, and of course, each of these levels has their own director. It's not an official directorship, if you will, but the girls and the boys each have their own levels. Usually they're uh, the person who rehearses with them are attuned to the personalities of the youngers or the middles or the olders. But yeah, we... Uh, they come in on a Saturday morning. In fact, we do it in layers. We start at 9, uh, usually from 9 to 10.30, the youngers are there. But halfway through that rehearsal, the concert choir will come in to do repertoire that overlaps between the two. And then as the youngers leave, the concerts are there, and then the town choir comes in to rehearse a little bit on their own, of course, uh, for their own special rep, but then they're rehearsing with the next level above them. And then the town, of course, rehearses with uh, the graduate choir, and then the grads rehearse a little bit with chamber as the the young men's drop off as the hours go by. So we're usually there from 9 till maybe 3 or 3.30 on Saturdays. On Monday, the anonymous rehearse, and we don't even know who they are. Tuesday, another group comes in. Uh, Wednesday, we have our uh, candidate groups come in for each of the choirs. And again, they overlap just a little bit. But Wednesday is for candidacy. Uh, And then Thursday and Friday, other groups will come in. And then, of course, Saturday, we do it all. And then on Sunday, I started this, oh my gosh, 20 years ago. We actually have uh, rehearsals. It's called makeup rehearsals for those who have missed Uh, Because we do allow kids, if they're involved in sports or uh, working with their own schools, like with theater, we allow them to do that uh, because school choirs come first with us and they also have the opportunity to bank or to make up on Saturday afternoons. So each of those groups will have time, an hour for each. And again, they overlap by a half an hour just to make sure that You know, they see kids that are older than them rehearsing. They have time to come in and either make up something they've missed or to bank it looking forward if they know they're going to have to be missing uh, in the future. Wow. It it sounds very strategic and logical, and uh, and it's a pretty tight schedule, but um, it seems to be very very generous and... And able to engage all these different choristers and, you know, have a, a sense of role models as well as these younger kids are looking up to these older kids who are coming in after them. Well, considering how, how that is well planned, you're now celebrating 54 years as a choir conductor and music educator. And yet the Keystone State Boy Choir says that you are channeling the boundless energy of boys into unforgettable music making. How does someone with 54 years as a choir conductor keep up with boys at such a young age? By having a staff that does it all. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no, it's amazing. We have uh, on both the boy and the girl choir side. Obviously, we have a board of uh, directors that you know ensures that we are responsible at all levels with everyone. We have a staff, uh, non-musical staff, of course, that supports every rehearsal. These are parent. It's, it's parent power. We have managers at every level uh, who come in and make sure that we are responsible for changing from one group to another uh, when we rehearse together or separately. So these managers are in there saying, oh, Mr. Fitz, you have three minutes left. Thank you. And they kind of like run the rehearsal behind the scenes for us. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of talented directors and uh, accompanists uh, collaborative accompanists that help from rehearsal to rehearsal. So yeah, we're we're well staffed. In fact, it was interesting during COVID, you could see these managers uh, on the screen with the 70 or 80 other youngsters, and they would be uh, encouraging us uh, from moment to moment, and of course encouraging the kids. Sit tall, Johnny. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, boy, that was a mess. Those days, Jeff and I compared notes over COVID several times, and and the kids, they, we, we were just suffering. It was miserable. Because, of course, you can't hear them sing, and they can't hear anybody sing. All they could do was rely on uh, what the director was doing. Obviously, you can ask a kid to unmute and sing a little passage from time to time, but it was, uh, what a drudgery. So sad. Yeah, that is definitely a, a part that affected all the different musical organizations, really every organization, but especially in music where you have to have that collaboration. You have to be able to hear everybody else, and it's it's hard because you feel so isolated. This is, you know, from other interviews that I've had and other people I've talked to, you know, off of Behind the Blazer, I've, I've heard just how difficult that is, so... How did you adjust? What did you do? And what kind of lessons did you learn about what COVID has forced you to do? Well, to uh, kind of take a deep breath and hold your nose and go in for the dive, it was incredibly difficult. Uh, every choir director will, will echo that, I'm sure. We tried every three weeks, every four weeks, to have a conductor, someone that one of our other conductors here on board knew from that side of the city or the state, we had them come in and do workshops with the youngsters. And Jeff and I both, we did so many recordings with the kids. For us, on every level that we have, you know, the town and the concert and the, the youngins and the olders, each of them, I think it was every four weeks, we had them do a recording. And that really became drudgery for the kids because they couldn't hear anybody singing except themselves, and they had to submit these really, really difficult, not only recordings, but videos of themselves. And we usually kept them separate. They would do a, an audio recording separate from their video, so they didn't have to make one or the other perfect at any given time. And then that allowed our editors to kind of edit out the, uh, the strange recordings. Right when that happened but it was this final musical number is the entire range of satb soprano alto tenor and bass of the keystone state boy choir enjoy this piece of walk in jerusalem john said the city was just four square and he declared he'd meet me As we conclude our Behind the Blazer interview with Joe Fitzmartin, you may be delighted to hear his origin story with the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. It proves that you just never know how listening to a PVCC concert can change your life. Can I, I'd like to interject something. I'm going to give a shout out here to 
to a youngster named Matthew Blystein. This is way back in the day. I was teaching and living at uh, Girard College for a long time. I was a teacher there and a house parent and choir director. And in 1979, I think it was, one of the alumni from Girard College, knowing obviously that I had this choir at Girard College, said, hey, Fitz, I got 50 tickets for you. If you want, you can go see the world-renowned Philadelphia Boys Choir sing. So I thought, wow, what a great idea. It would be terrific for our kids because they lived right there at Girard College. Most of these youngsters were either motherless or fatherless or orphaned at some point in their lives. And they were, you know, on campus uh, 24-7 all year long. So I grabbed the Girard College buses and we went to the performance and I was smitten. I was blown away. Philadelphia Boys Choir. And on our way home, little Matthew taps me on the shoulder in the bus and says, I want to join that choir too. So I called the organization, spoke with Gail Wyrock, who was the secretary at the time. And I said, how do I do this? And she said, uh, bring, bring the youngster to, I think we were rehearsing at LaSalle University at the time. So I brought him over, H auditioned him. And then for the first, for the next three rehearsals, interestingly enough, I got to sit with the parents in the parent lounge uh, <laughs> while the choir was rehearsing. And at one point, a couple weeks into this, Matthew, as I drove him back to the school, uh, he said, H is looking for an organist to play a new work to accompany PBC at the cathedral this year. It was a new work that they had commissioned. I said, wait a second, I'm an organist and a choir director. As soon as we got home, I called H and he said, what, you're an organist, fantastic, let's do this. So I went to the first rehearsal, of course, and accompanied the kids as they were learning this new piece. And on the way out, I overheard him say to one of the men in the chorale, I'm also looking for a bass too, if you know anybody. And I walked over and I said, ho And he said, you're hired. So I not only got to be singing in the bass section of the choir this whole time when I wasn't accompanying, and also eventually within a year or two, I actually became an associate director. So it was a dream come true. It was just a wonderful experience. Thanks to little Matt Blystein. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is an awesome origin story. It's, it's great how you were kind of thrust in that situation, but you stepped up and you did what you needed to do to prove yourself. And it's a great part of your career, as you said, 21 years with the Philadelphia Boys Choir. And, and it started because one of the children you were taking care of was interested and really because somebody gave you tickets to the boys choir. That's a crazy and awesome beginning of that. That's really great. That's the way stuff works. You just never know what opportunity is going to present itself to you and when and how. But if you just keep on keeping on, all of your dreams come true. It's just an amazing adventure, especially if you're surrounded by magical people. <laughs> Yeah. So you've had roles in the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale, not just as an organist and accompanist or composer, but also in the chorale as well. How long were you part of the chorale? For the duration. Again, I would sing in the men's chorale anytime I wasn't at the keyboard. H was such a strong leader that, you know, it really, he gave me so many opportunities that even to this day, I, you know, tip of the hat to H. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Just like the Philadelphia Boys Choir Chorale, the Keystone State Boy Choir also goes on tour. And one thing is cool is in the year 2013, Metallica became the first band to play in Antarctica. But the Keystone State Boy Choir beat them by four years. You guys went to Antarctica to sing. Can you tell me about that experience? We actually were touring Chile and we started at the top of the country or the part that was closest to the equator. And we worked our way further down, down, down. And we got to, in fact, it was a two and a half week tour. We got down to a little city called Punta Arenas. And we had been there, home stays for the kids, of course. It had been arranged, Steve Fisher was there and he had booked this, I think it was a, a special air, a charter airline, a three hour flight. It sounds like a three hour tour. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> it was a three-hour flight from the, the bottom of Chile down to this Chilean naval base on Antarctica. We got on the plane. In fact, we were called that morning at 7 o'clock, so all the homestay parents delivered us at 7, and this was their only flight. So the, the pilot actually came into the airport and said, sorry, there's overcast in Chile. We can't even leave, let alone come back. And he said, why don't you guys just go do something for two hours? So we got back at 9 o'clock, and pilot came in, same thing. He said, oh, we can leave now, but if we were to go, we couldn't get back. And I think it was 11 o'clock, we finally took off, and we got there early afternoon. And it was only a day. You were only allowed on Antarctica for a day because there were no accommodations. And we got off, and it was beyond belief. They had actually plowed a road for us to walk. It was about a half a mile from the airport to this geodesic dome that the naval people there, and scientists, there were scientists there from seven different countries. And it was actually Christmas Eve. It was uh, December 24th. So we walked into this geodesic dome where the families and the officers and scientists were all having their Christmas party. And we walked in and sang a few tunes for them and they were, oh my God, this is wonderful. And then their guides popped us in pontoon boats and we went and right out on into the ocean. They dropped us off for an hour at a little place they called Penguin Island. And we weren't really prepared for it. They, the <laughs> pontoon boats uh, pushed up onto the shore and all the kids got off. And then the pontoon boats said goodbye. They waved at us, the drivers of the boats. They said, goodbye, see you in an hour. And we, what? So we were there. We actually got to sing for the penguins. One of the kids said, oh, look, our audience, they're even in tuxedos. <laughs> so cute. Anyway, they came and picked us up again, and we got to hang a sign on the big post that they had there with an arrow pointing toward Philadelphia you know, showing how many miles we had traveled. I think it was 7,000 miles or something. So hopefully it's still there. <laughs> which of the choirs are allowed to go on tour? Is it the town or the chamber or which parts of the choir can... It's tour? town choir and up. But we have to make sure that we balance it. So sometimes we actually invite the kids to let us know who would like to go on tour. But we have to be very careful to balance not only those going on tour with numbers, but uh, with voice parts, so that the music that we present on tour is, is uh, you know, balanced by section. So uh, obviously you have to be careful with that. Usually our tours, we number them somewhere between 50, and we've had tours as large as 80. But a lot of it has to do with, as Jeff knows well, bus size the size of the buses, how many are you going to need? Is this a one bus, a two bus, or a three bus tour? <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So you, you've toured just like the Philadelphia Boys Choir, and then COVID obviously put a hitch in plans. Do you have a tour scheduled for 2022? We're going to, in fact, it's in the end of June, and we're headed to Portugal and Morocco. How exotic is Morocco? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It'll be fun. Morocco is the first country to recognize the United States as an independent country, by the way. I don't know oh, if you I knew that. Or... that. That's great. I'll put it in our tour journal. <laughs> now, as far as the future of the Keystone State Boy Choir, what are your plans? What's your hopes for the future? Keep on keeping on. Obviously, we're, we're back. Yesterday's concert with the girls, masks were optional for the choir. So about 90% of them, you know, took their masks off. But we had the audience still in masks. You just never know one-way or two-way transmissions. But in terms of the future, we're just building our numbers and making sure that we offer the same, fingers crossed, the same brilliant music-making, joyous music-making for these young people and give them the experience that we and that PBC has been able to provide throughout the years. So it's as much joyous music making as we can have. And then I, I guess the last question I have for you is, is there anything that we didn't discuss that you think would add to this episode of Behind the Blazer for you? I, 
just remember some of these youngsters. I'm looking at a list here of just a few names that became a little bit more than they were as youngsters. Ben Pasek of Pasek and Paul. This guy was a little guy in PBC, and he did so well, and he was a wonderful singer, and now he is a most, most famous composer himself, having written several musicals. Dear Evan Hansen was one, and he obviously has lots uh, to his credit. Sean Stockman of Boys to Men. In fact, I saw him at the Tower Theater. Recently, I got tickets from a good friend from Live Nation, and she was able to put me front row center. And halfway through, Sean was doing his own unique brand of singing. He did his little solo piece out front, and he got real close to the edge of the stage, and at one point he looked down, and his eyes got real big, and I waved and smiled. (laughs) (laughs) I was able to go backstage and see Sean Stockman, boys to men. Jeff Smith, talk about, I mean, who do you know that's the associate director of the Philly Pops? I mean, (laughs) really? Talk about legend in his own time. Awesome. And then there was the, the Oak Ridge Boys. I don't know whether they're still around or not, but they were big. Yuki Washington, who could, I mean, geez, oh man. Shout out to Yuki. But so many wonderful kids over the years have been inspired by these amazing organizations that, frankly, we just happened to fall into PBC, KSB, and their associate girl choirs. Just an amazing opportunity for these kids. So thank you for this opportunity, Scott. You made my day. You made my week. Well, I thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Behind the Blazer. Joe Fitzmartin, who's the founder and music director of the Keystone State Boy Choir and Pennsylvania Girl Choir and has a great legacy with the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. 21 years as an accompanist, a chorale member, a composer, and just a a great inspiration for so many people who've been part of the Philadelphia Boys Choir. I thank you so much for spending this time with us. And thank you, my friend. Scott, be well. Thank you. This episode of Behind the Blazer Season 2 features the vocal talents of Asa Johnson, Josiah Jonikin, Arnab Chowdhury, Abner Murillo, Liam Newkirk, Sartok Chowdhury, Alex Sterius, Mark Houck, Christopher Sempier, Jonah Serrata, and Boo Long. Thanks to all who have participated in the creation of this episode. Behind the Blazer is the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Corral. Please like, share, subscribe, and give a five-star review. Support our organization, the Philadelphia Boys and Girls Choirs, by donating at pbgcsings.org slash donate. Again, that's pbgcsings.org slash donate. We have no, 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 no.